In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt, there have, been, there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I have received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined, so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should, do, you should eat all together. You should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home, so when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. I had a um, uni mate. He believed in Valhalla. If you've never heard of Valhalla, it is insane. It's the Viking belief of the afterlife. Those who die gloriously in battle go to Valhalla. Valhalla means the hall of the slain. And when they get there, they feast. And when they're done feasting, they go back to battle and they die gloriously again on the battlefield. And they return to Valhalla where they feast again. And when they're done feasting, they go back to the battlefield where they die gloriously to go back to Valhalla. It's on repeat, it's a loop, it's a cycle, it never ends. That is the Viking belief of the afterlife. And my friend at uni loved it. He thought it was awesome. He thought it was the best thing. He had a beard, he loved axes, it was right up his alley, right? I think he just watched a bit too much Thor. But people believe what they want to believe and they think what they want to think. Which is fine, right? That might be some of you tonight. We love having you around because it's possible to agree and disagree with our beliefs without having a fist fight, right? I'm still mates with that guy. We still talk about what we believe to each other and he doesn't believe in Valhalla anymore. And as a Christian, I'd love to invite any criticism or scepticism 
that you may have about things that we believe. Because I think Christianity actually has the best answers for any question you can throw at it. I met another person uh, a couple of weeks ago who had something that they believed that was just completely different to what I think. It was at a school lunchtime group and I was talking to this girl who's not a Christian. We were talking about whether or not we've done anything wrong and if it needs to be forgiven. And she said, yeah, well, I don't actually believe in all this Jesus stuff and I've got my own way of thinking. Which again, that might be some of you tonight. It's great to have you with us. And she said, I believe that I can pay back the wrong things that I've done by doing good things three times over. Because when you do something wrong, the bad effects multiply by three. I was just amazed. I can't keep up paying back the bad things I've done one for one, but she's going one to three. I said, how do you keep up with it all? And she said, yeah, well, I'm a bit overwhelmed, right? Classic teenage honesty. A few of us asked her where she got this belief from. And she said, I flicked to a, I found this old pagan religion book and I flicked to a page and I picked a religion and I signed up for it. That's me. Now, good on her. She's, she's thinking about the important things of life. And she's taking um, the issues of things that are wrong with the world more seriously than most. She hasn't gone with the easiest option. She's owning the fact that she's not perfect and she's not ignoring the problems of the world. But it still raises the question, can you just pick whatever you want to believe and do life however you want to do it? Can you just close your eyes and flick to a page in a religion book and choose anything that you want? There's some pretty big things on the line if that's not the case. If you're wrong about how to do life, it's possible that you're wasting your life, fluffing around, doing pointless stuff, and if you're wrong about what you believe, you may never come to know the God that truly exists. For the religion, Christianity, that can cope with any question that you want to throw at it, I think we can find some answers tonight from the Bible. Let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, uh, I pray that tonight you would be working in us to understand your word as we go through uh, 1 Corinthians. Please prepare our hearts to um, accept and understand and that would be changed by it. Please give me clarity as I speak. And I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. All right, the first thing we're going to see, if you've got notes, it's great. Um, Note this down. The first thing we're going to see in the passage is that you can't do things your own way. This chapter, we're up to chapter 11. Whip it open if you haven't already. Um, We're in the second half of the chapter. And that part is looking at the Lord's Supper. If you've ever been to church and you've um, seen the, this smallest portion of bread handed around and this tiny little cup of juice handed around, it's like a meal for midgets. Um, that's, that's what we're talking about tonight, the Lord's Supper. Um, so have a look in verse 23. In verse 23 it says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. See, it's called the Lord's Supper because it comes 
from the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus made this celebration and he made it to be in remembrance of him, in remembrance of what he did, his death on the cross. Except in this chapter tonight, we see that the Corinthians were missing something about it. They were doing something wrong. They'd missed the point. If you look in verse 18, you can see that there are divisions among them. And in verse 21, if you look with me, it says, For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers, and as a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. We have people who are missing out on the Lord's Supper because others are selfishly eating it all before they get there, and they're even getting drunk. And so if you have a look back now at verse 20, verse 20 says, So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. There's something so wrong about how the Corinthians are approaching the Lord's Supper that it's not even the Lord's Supper that they're eating anymore. They think they're doing it, but they aren't. The Corinthians are doing things their own way. When they eat the Lord's Supper, they do it in a way that leaves people out. They do it in a way like like it's a VIP lounge that only they have access to. Is this okay? Can they just pick how they want to do something? Well, I want to to say you can and you can't. You can, but you should know something. Have a look at verse 19. In verse 19 it says, No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. There have to be differences but God will only approve of one way. So if you're doing things differently to how God wants you to do them, you won't have his approval. His approval means he accepts you and his disapproval means he rejects you. This is big stuff, right? It's the difference between heaven and hell. Now, it's not all differences. Paul will say in other places that some differences don't matter at all. Jew, Gentile, slave, free. Your skin colour does not matter. Your age does not matter. There are differences that are insignificant. It doesn't change the way that God looks at you. But some differences are so big that they separate those who do and those who don't have the approval of God. So Paul is correcting a different way that the Corinthians are doing the Lord's Supper. He's got a problem with it. Now, we live in a time where we celebrate differences and we don't correct them. We love being the black sheep. We love being able to pick something that nobody else is doing, like flicking to a page in a religion book and saying, that's for me, no matter how out there it is. We love being the first to try something new. We love breaking the normal way of doing things. We love being free to believe whatever we want to believe. But you can't think differently about God. You can't change God with your opinion. He's not in our control. We can't change if God is in fashion or not. We can't change our belief about him to be trendy. We can't change what pleases God. I've got a slide here. If this 
curvy line is the way that the world is thinking, and that straight line is the way that God is thinking. The world will dip in and out of agreeing with the way that God thinks. Some things that we believe about God will be really unpopular at times. People will want to change the way that they think about God because it doesn't suit the way that they want to live. But God, he doesn't change. What God desires will always be the same. So, of course, when there are differences between us and differences in how we want to do, some, um, do things, in some cases, it will change whether or not we have God's approval. It's like the difference between jerseys and sport. One jersey will say that you belong to one team and another jersey will say you belong to the other. Differences separate. And we're talking about differences in the way that you do things, in particular differences in the way that the Corinthians are doing the Lord's Supper. God cares about what we do. Because what we do says a lot about what's going on in our heart. He cares about how we talk, the words that come out of our mouth. He cares about how we use his name. He cares that we stick to the truth of the gospel. He cares, that, um, he cares what we look at with our eyes. And he cares about how we treat each other, whether or not we can forgive each other. And he cares about how we eat the Lord's Supper. God cares about all these things because he's not interested in just some surface appearance of looking like a Christian. He wants you to live like one. He cares about the way that we relate to him because what we do says a whole bunch about what's in our heart. But what is so wrong with the way that the Corinthians are eating the Lord's Supper? They're just pigging out. That doesn't seem so hectic that it would mean that they don't have God's approval. Can't they just eat the way that they want to eat? First in, best dressed. When I was a kid, I used to say, two, four, six, eight, dig in, don't wait. Big deal, right? Well, it matters because the way they were eating said a whole bunch about what they thought of the Lord's Supper. And this is my second point. What you do says a lot about what you believe. What do we believe about the Lord's Supper? What even is it? What, what is going on with the Lord's Supper? Well, come back to verse 23 with me. Verse 23, I'll read again. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The Lord's Supper is this cool thing that Jesus sets up to remember the great deliverance that we have from sin through the cross. The night before he died, the night he was betrayed, Jesus was looking forward to his death on the cross where his body would be broken and his blood poured out as the ultimate sacrifice that covers the sin of all those who place their trust in Jesus. 
The meal that Jesus sat down to have with his disciples was actually a turning point in history where a meal that had been celebrated for thousands of years changed meaning. Keep your finger in 1 Corinthians. We're going to go all the way back to Exodus 12, which is your second book in the Bible. And Exodus is um, the story of God's great deliverance of his people from Egypt. Um, They had come into Egypt under a good pharaoh, but under a bad pharaoh, they get um, turned into a slave nation. And they suffer under the abuse of slavery for 400 years. They eventually cry out to God, save us, get us out of here. They groan. God hears their groaning. And he raises up a guy called Moses. And Moses will speak for God to the Pharaoh. And what God wants Moses to say to the Pharaoh is, let my people go. Time after time, Pharaoh hardens his heart. He will not let the people of Israel go. And there's a plague that comes every time he refuses to let the people of God go. Um, And it comes to this point this um, last plague to come, Moses says um, the firstborn of every um, family will die if you do not let the people of God go. Pharaoh hardens his heart again, will not let the people go. And so the only way to avoid having the firstborn in your family die is to kill a lamb and paint its blood over your doorposts And the angel that brings the plague, seeing that sign, will pass over your house. So, this passage in chapter 12 is talking about this lamb. So, in verse 6, it says, Take care of them, that's the lambs, until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood... And put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. And come down to verse 12, and it will say, On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you and the houses where you are, and when I see the blood... I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. See in the end there how it says, it shall be celebrated as a festival to the Lord. Well, that's exactly what happened. It went down in the history books, in the Jewish calendar, to be celebrated every year. And it was called the Passover. In order for God's judgment to pass over a household, they were to kill a lamb and paint its blood over the posts. A death was required for the Passover of God's wrath. Now, this was the very meal that Jesus was celebrating with his disciples. But he was changing the meaning of it. Instead of eating bread and drinking wine, 
in remembrance of God's delivery of his people back in Egypt. He's telling them to do it in remembrance of him. He's saying that his death on the cross will be like the death of the lamb whose blood made God's wrath pass over his people. Jesus is the new lamb. And God's anger against our sin will pass over us for all those who put their trust in the blood of Jesus. Now there's a lot of history there. And the story from the Old Testament is all about God's deliverance of his people from slavery. And the story that Jesus retells it to be is God's deliverance of his people from sin. The Lord's Supper is a moment we have to remember and reflect and proclaim what God has done for us. And the way the Corinthians were doing the Lord's Supper was as though they had missed the whole point of what it was all about. Imagine it's Anzac Day. And you've got this woman whose grandfather fought in World War II. Um, The morning of Anzac Day, she wakes up before the sun comes up. She goes to the memorial service and she marches with everyone. And she marches in remembrance of those that fought and died in in wars and who fought for justice and who fought for freedom. You have this other guy and he wakes up on Anzac Day. He's a 17-year-old guy. He wakes up late, way after the sun comes up and he plays Xbox all day. To him, Anzac Day is just another public holiday that he doesn't have to think about school. Now, they both celebrated Anzac Day. But what they did separated what they believed about the day. The lady got it. But the guy totally missed the point. How do you know? Because of the difference in what they did on the day. And just like what that guy showed that he totally missed the point of Anzac Day, the Corinthians, what they did, showed that they totally missed the point of the Lord's Supper. Anzac Day is a remembrance, right, of those who fought and died. But the Lord's Supper is a meal of remembrance for a moment in history that is far greater than any war ever fought. Because it's a battle against sin and death and Satan himself that Jesus has won. The Lord's Supper shouldn't leave the the Christian brother or sister without. The way that the Corinthians were doing the Lord's Supper was as though it was about social status, having private VIP suppers that only rich people could get into, when really it should be a moment where every believing Christian is able to equally participate in remembering the death of Jesus. So come back to 1 Corinthians um, 11 with me. Just have a look at verse 26. Verse 26 says, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we eat the Lord's Supper, it's a moment that we can sit and reflect on our sin, that we need a saviour, that Jesus died for us, that his death makes us right with God. 
And that's what it will look like to proclaim Jesus' death. It's proclaiming that his death was for our sin. Jesus died for sinners so that we can be made right with God. The way the Corinthians were eating the Lord's Supper, pigging out, getting drunk, was as though they didn't even know what the Lord's Supper was for, that it was for Jesus and his death for them and remembering it. The very moment that they should have been reflecting on Jesus' body and blood, broken and poured out for them, was the moment that they were feeding their own appetites and looking after themselves before they even considered the needs of others. This goes so hard against the grain of Jesus' death on the cross. Because Jesus' death was the death of the Son of Man who had the full approval and acceptance of God, who was spiritually rich, yet he gave it up and was rejected by God on the cross, forsaken. So that us, we who are like spiritual beggars, who have nothing and can't earn our acceptance or approval of God by any means, can be made right with God. And he made us rich by making us alive in Christ, even while we're still hard against God in our sin. When we eat the Lord's Supper, it's to remember Jesus' death. That was for the other, for the person outside the approval of God for the weak, for the helpless. This is why when we eat the Lord's Supper, you think and reflect in your heart. And it's not some weird ritual that makes you better with God. It's not about that at all. No, it's, it's about your inner reflection on what Jesus has done for you and your deep dependence on Him. Have a look at verse 27. I've got two last things to show you from verse 27. Verse 27 says, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. The two last things... Don't eat the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Don't eat the Lord's Supper in a way that misses the point of what's going on. There's only one way that's right to join in eating the Lord's Supper. And that's if you believe it and accept it as a remembrance of Jesus' death for you, to save you from the penalty of your sin. It's something that you participate in as a Christian who believes these things. And the second thing is to examine yourself. Remember that we are spiritually poor. We're like spiritually we're spiritually like beggars. And we have the greatest need to be made right with God. Reflect on your deep need for forgiveness. Give genuine thanks that Jesus has paid the price of your sin. We were dead in sin. We need Jesus' body and blood broken for us like the lamb of the Passover. We need his blood that covers us so that God's wrath passes over us. To pay a price for the sin that we can't afford to pay ourselves. 
in order to make us right with God. Why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, um, we thank you so much that you have come to the earth, you've come out of your spiritual richness uh, to make us who are helpless to save ourselves alive, um, that you've wiped out the debt of the sin that we have um, by paying it with the blood. I pray that um, those of us here yet who have not accepted that uh, will come to an appreciation and understanding of what you've done for them and would be able to one day participate in eating the Lord's Supper in a way of genuine belief and faith uh, that proclaims your death, that your death was for them. Your death is to cover our sin. We give you great thanks that you've done this because we can't do it ourselves. We thank you so much um, for the opportunity to get into your word tonight. We pray that it would um, remain on us, that we'd continue to think about it. Um, Please continue to grow us. We thank you for this term um, in 1 Corinthians and what a privilege it's been to look at your word. And we give thanks for all these things in your son's name. In Jesus, amen.